Hi, this is Trey Hensley, and you're listening to Bluegrass Jam Along, the podcast for anyone and everyone who plays bluegrass. My guest on Bluegrass Jam Along this week is Trey Hensley. Um, and it's a slightly funny one because I feel like Trey's been on the podcast before, which of course he hasn't. But I've talked to Marcel Ardans from Lessons with Marcel about him uh, before, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But it's just it's a treat to have Trey here. So, Trey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast, so it's, uh, it's great to be on here. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I was chatting to Marcel from Lessons with Marcel a while ago, and I just I was going through his sort of transcriptions on his website, and I noticed he'd got a lot of Tony Rice there, obviously, and he's transcribed quite a lot of Billy Strings and quite a lot of Molly Tuttle. And I said to him, "Should we have a chat about those players?" And you can tell me sort of what it is about them that you really like and what makes them them. He said, "Yeah, can we do that?" He said, "Can we also talk about Trey Hensley?" I was like, great, yeah, like, like, let's add that name to the list. And um, so I ended up chatting to, to Marcel about you quite a lot, and as a result, reading a bit more about you and listening to a bit more about you. And uh, I thought, well, why not ask you direct rather than talk about you? Let's get you on the podcast. And so here you are. Um, you've, you're have you on this, the nominee list for IBMA Guitar Player of the Year this year. And when you read that list, Billy Strings, Cody Kilby, Brian Sutton, Molly Tuttle, and Trey Hensley, that's a hell of a list. <laughs> yes uh I, I i'm not sure how i ended up there but i'm uh it, it's a thrill yeah i mean i guess this is year number three of being nominated and uh it's my third year of wondering why but <laughs> I'm, I'm thrilled it's uh it's really cool uh yeah obviously four of my favorite guitar players um and so yeah i mean it's and you know i, I love the ibma i've been going to the ibma since I was a kid, since I started playing and, and never, ever thought that I would be on the list, you know? So, uh, it's super cool. Uh, again, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure how it happened, but, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled with it. It's really cool. And there's a lot of people out there. I'd imagine they're really pleased for you because there's a lot of people who, who do know sort of how it happened. There's a lot of people who love your playing out there. So, um, but yeah, you sort of said then that you've been going there since you were a kid. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that because you started playing pretty young. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of people started playing pretty young, but uh, you you had quite a sort of quick rise into the sort of gigging, sort of professional, semi-professional touring life in your teens, really, didn't you? Yeah, I mean, I started playing. Uh, I started playing when I was ten, um, I, and before that, I like just sang, uh, and I'm not really sure how it happened, but I, I uh, started singing with this little bluegrass group out in East Tennessee, uh, where I'm from. And so, yeah, I made like cassette tapes when I was six and I, I made three of them when I was six and seven and eight. So I've been playing music, you know, on, on a, uh, uh, as a profession for a long time. And yeah, I started playing guitar when I was 10 and I guess I went to the IBMA for the first time when I was 10 or 11. Um, and yeah, you know, I played, I've done several, uh, uh, showcases there. I think I did my first one uh, at IBMA in 2013 uh, with Tom T. Hall, and so that was kind of my introduction into the the IBMA. And and uh, I've been a member for a long time. And, and yeah, it's like uh, you know I love the the award show. And, and again, you know, it's like to be nominated is very cool. And um, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, this has been a long time. 
I'm 31 now, so I've been, you know, playing music for for two decades at this point, and uh, it's kind of all I all I know. And what so what was on those first tapes you were making when you were sort of you know seven eight nine years old? What were they? Your songs were they sort of country standards, bluegrass songs? Yeah, kind of bluegrass standard things, uh, and some very horrible singing. Uh, <laughs> what was on those records? Uh, yeah, so you know, I kind of I don't I, I mark those off as just kind of something that you know I did when I was a kid. Uh, but you know, I made my first CD, my actual first thing, uh, when I was eleven, I guess, and it was produced by Tom T. Hall, and it was the the first thing I'd like actually been playing guitar and, you know, I remember working up guitar breaks for all the songs and yeah, we recorded like, uh, 14 songs on that CD and we recorded them all in one day and mixed them the next day and had a record, you know? And so I kind of, I've just went into the business thinking that's how you made a CD, you know? And that's pretty, uh, Tom T kind of worked, you know, in, in the Stanley brothers fashion of, you know, you start a record in the morning and you have a record, right? <laughs> afternoon you know you have something yeah, yeah. to sell um and obviously it doesn't always work like that but yeah i mean it's uh like i said that that seems like forever ago but yeah that that was that was when i was a kid and kind of my introduction into this thing and was the guitar playing sort of um probably primarily to accompany yourself singing then or was it more about wanting an instrument in its own right as well yeah it started out as uh, as an accompanying thing um and then it it quickly became, you know, my obsession with music was my guitar playing. Um, and, you know, it's like I, I loved singing. Um, but not long after I picked up a guitar, I didn't I didn't care if I ever sang another note, you know, as long as I could play. And I still feel that way. It's like I, I sing, you know, I'm in this duo with Rob Ikes and, and most of our songs are songs that I sing. Um, and it just it it's only because I sing, you know, it's, it's not like I love singing and that's what I'm going to do. And I just play guitar to accompany my singing. It's I'm a guitar player that kind of sings, you know? Uh, and so that's, it, it started out as like, Hey, I'm just going to get something to play rhythm while I sing into being, you know, I, I'm a guitar player. And was there something in particular, was there like a particular record you heard that sort of kicked off the real guitar obsession? Or was it just like playing it and loving the sounds and, and just took it from there? It's a little of both. Um, you know, like I, the reason that I played guitar uh, originally was uh, I went to the Blue, Bluegrass Festival and saw uh, Charlie Waller play. And he was the first guy that I think I ever saw. You know, he didn't play much. Like he mostly played rhythm, but he played... Uh, under the double eagle at this show and that was the first time i'd ever really you know witnessed that live you know somebody playing notes on a guitar and not just strumming and playing rhythm and that was kind of the the eureka moments like hey i want to do that i want to you know play notes and and play guitar breaks and then it really kind of hit when i first learned you know like when i when i played wildwood flower it's like course that's the song most people start out with but like when i put those notes together and and heard it coming back out of the guitar it's like okay this is that's what i want to do and it's it's still that way man it's like i i still get excited when i learn something that i want to learn or if i you know figure out new things on the guitar i'm i'm just kind of always trying to chase that feeling you know yeah and you sort of i sort of wonder with um 
it's like something like bluegrass you learn i don't know you learn classical instrument and the first things that you learn are maybe really simple and maybe you don't ever go back and play them again but if wildwood flower is the first thing you really learned i would imagine you still play that and still get a huge amount of pleasure out of playing it it's not like there's something really deep about the simple stuff sometimes it is it uh that music still kind of gets me you know i i was just a big flat and scruggs fan my my granddad had a bunch of records and he had a lot of flat and scruggs uh but he had one that just really kind of lit me on fire you know it was this uh flat and scruggs do the famous songs of the carter family and it's you know it's not really a like a standard flat and scruggs album it's one that earl mostly plays guitar on um and just something about that you know it's like and then you know, Rob and I just played at the Earl Scruggs Festival, uh, the first annual Earl Scruggs Festival, and uh, it got me back into listening to that record. And uh, yeah, there's just something, there's something beautiful about that, the simplicity of that Carter family music and, and that style of guitar playing. And uh, it always served the song, you know, it was never flashy, it was never um, in your face, it was just the melody of the song. And um and I think it always comes back to that, you know, it's like that there's, there's cool stuff you can do on the guitar, but it always comes back to the melody. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, I still, I still love the wildwood flower. That's a long way of answering that question. Yeah. It's a really sort of shocked the first time I read some liner notes and realized that it was Earl actually playing the guitar on some of those tracks because his guitar playing is great. It is, man. It's, uh, you know, that was, that was kind of why I started playing was that, you know, and, uh, reading his name on that liner note it was kind of like yeah that's and you know that's when i first played the opry was with earl um and and so i got to learn a lot of those guitar parts and uh, from him and got to ask him a bunch of those questions and and it was yeah it's like it it wasn't really merle travis style it wasn't really mother maybell style it was kind of his own thing you know and and mm-hmm. you know it's, it's really really cool that he and it, a lot of it feels like his banjo playing, you know, it's like it, he did a lot of rolls with his fingers that kind of felt like banjo playing. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it was a totally unique thing. Yeah. I sort of Scruggs style guitar as much as Scruggs style banjo in a way. It's just, you know, him, him coming out of the instrument. Um, and that was, that was pretty, pretty young. You first played the Opry. Were you sort of around 10? Is that right? Uh, 11. Yeah. I started playing when I was 10. I think I'd been playing for, uh, around nine months when I played the Opry that first time. And, wow. Uh, yeah, I'd met Marty, uh, Marty Stewart. I was a big fan of his. And um, he was playing this local fair out in East Tennessee. And uh, my dad got us backstage tickets. Uh, and I was going to get him to sign my guitar case. That was the whole reason that I wanted to go, you know. And, uh, and so I ended up going, meeting him. He was very nice. And he let me play a couple songs on the guitar for him while he was signing autographs and I played Wildwood Flower and uh, Jimmy Brown the Newsboy and he recognized that I had learned it from Earl because there was you know those particular Earl licks and uh, and so yeah he invited me to, to play on the Opry a couple months after that and and that's where I met Earl he Marty kind of since he recognized that he asked Earl if he would come out and play with us and Earl did and and then you know, that's how I met Rob for the first time was through Earl Scruggs uh, a couple months after that. And um, so, yeah, it's been a snowball, snowball from there. And you and Rob have been playing together for quite a few years now, haven't you? 
yeah, eight, eight or nine years, something like that. We've, uh, it doesn't feel like it's been that long, but yeah. And I've known him since, you know, since I was 12 or 13. So yeah, been, been a while. And it's an interesting, I'm always a fan of hearing, um, acoustic stuff in duet settings because you get to hear a bit of space around things and you get to hear where things fit. And I know obviously you guys have other stuff on the records as well. It's not always just the two of you, but there's something fascinating about a duet setting. And, um, and guitar and dobro together is quite an unusual combination, but it really works. It's a it's a really cool sound. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, it's it's uh, you know it kind of came about organically, just a jam session, you know, at Rob's house, and then uh, yeah, we did that first record, just you know, kind of like Rob was he was wanting to do a solo record, and and he decided to do this record with me, and um, we just went in. I mean, we we cut that one in two days i guess you know we did all the acoustic tracks one day and all the electric electric tracks another day um and everything on there was you know what was a a single take you know there's no overdubs and that's the way we've done every record since then but you know that was kind of the beginning of like hey this is this is kind of a unique thing uh and it's fun let's (laughs) let's see where this goes and uh yeah still still seeing where it's going and that, um, that electric thing's interesting because I think I heard you say at one point or read you say somewhere that, you know, certainly for a, a while you got more electric sessions than acoustic sessions um, yeah. and actually play, play a lot of electric guitar as well. Yeah, I mean, I didn't I didn't touch an acoustic guitar for uh, for several years, probably, you know, three or four years before I moved to Nashville. Um, I had been playing in this little like rock and roll band you know and and doing all the electric stuff and so when when rob and i started playing together that was kind of my reintroduction to playing more bluegrass you know and i always play bluegrass at home uh so i shouldn't say i didn't touch an acoustic guitar but as far as playing live playing out i didn't really play much acoustic at all um and so yeah that that was great and you know sometimes we still do these half acoustic half electric shows um it's pretty rare at this point we used to do them about once a month but uh you know still still bring out the electrics every now and then and did that um does that did that affect the way you play an acoustic you i mean it strikes me that you bend strings a lot more than the average dreadnought player does and that's you know it's unusual to hear people employ bends as much as you do it definitely did um i think that you know it's like i got way into to uh blues players and and you know it's like i for some reason it just kind of one of those one of these days that i was playing you know i I don't think i really did it before i met rob and started playing mostly acoustic but it's like i guess because i had been playing so much electric that first time when i got back on acoustic i just started bending and um and yeah it's like you know before that i'd I'd kind of done a few little Tony Rice kind of bends, you know, that were little half step bends or, or things like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I'm not really sure why it started happening, but I think it, it does kind of spawn back to the electric guitar playing. Yeah. And, um, Tony Rice is one of those people who the, the way he employs bends, he doesn't necessarily use loads and loads of them, but when he does, there's a, there's an amazing bend at the kickoff at the beginning of the sort of solo for um i've waited as long as i can it just starts yeah, with yeah. this incredible bend that just smacks you around the face 
Um, and there's another one. I mean, you know, pretty much every time I interview a guitar player, we end up talking about Tony Rice. But I know you've talked a lot about about the influence that he's had on you. And I remember you saying at one point almost um, something along the lines of, "I have to limit my Tony Rice intake sometimes." <laughs> I do. I, uh, you know, it's like I spent I spent a lot of years. I've been playing guitar for two decades. You know, for over half of it, uh, I wanted to just play Tony. You know, it's like that's all I wanted to do was sit and listen to Tony records and play those licks. And uh, and yeah, you know, I think I had a similar uh, event that happened, like a lot of people that do that. You know, uh, this this great guitar player came up to me one time. I'll, I'll leave him out of it. But he, he said, uh, there's already one Tony, you know, and it's like, okay that makes sense you know and it's kind of like you know if you listen to early tony there's a lot of clarence in there but it's Mm. morphed into being tony um and that was kind of a that was another lightning bolt like okay tony did tony better than i'll ever be able to do it so you know maybe i'll see what i sound like and and you know another big thing was seeing tony live and hearing him do a john coltrane song and it's like okay well that you know, Tony listens to a lot of different stuff, and he's obviously taken influences from other people and other places. Um, I'll try to do that, you know, and and that'll be another way to tip my hat to Tony. That's not stealing his licks, you know. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like Tony was influential far beyond his guitar playing. You know, it's like that. Just listening to other stuff happened because of Tony. So it's like. You know, you can you can get inspired by Tony in a lot of different aspects. <laughs> I, yeah, I, totally. Yeah, and people talk about you know the, about the the rhythm playing as as the thing, and but other people talk well. You know, people talk about the way he listened to music and the way he. I spoke to Dan Taminsky recently. Who talked a lot about how Tony reacted to other musicians, and it's you know it's not just about the licks he played; it's about the whole approach. But it's what you were saying about you know sort of playing all those licks and somebody come up and saying, oh, there's, there's already been one Tony and we don't need another one. Tony talked pretty openly about how um, he spent a lot of time trying to be Clarence and sort of realized that he couldn't. And that's how he ended up being him. And that's part of the process as any musician, isn't it? Is you find the bits you like and you sort of take them apart to see how they work and you eventually put them back together into something slightly different than they started yeah, off. Exactly. I, you know, I've, just even even like reading the Miles Davis book a couple of years ago, you know, him talking about, you know, playing Louis Armstrong licks or, or, or you know, he played with Charlie Parker and all that stuff rubbing off. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, you can hear, fortunately, you can hear Tony, you know, back in those days playing the Clarence stuff and you can hear it slowly evolve. And, and uh, yeah, it's the natural progression of, I think, of a uh, of a true musician is like wanting to go continue that search you know into the into the next thing yeah like you know talk about miles davis somebody did exactly the same you know never sort of rested never stuck with the same band or the same idea or the you know something you wander off into something hyper arranged and then go off into a constant quest for for something new that makes people exciting to listen to isn't it um, but I, I also remember you talking about Roy Nichols yeah. on the Merle Haggard records being a huge influence as well. Yeah, I mean, he was a big influence. Uh, you know, obviously Merle was a big uh, musical influence. Uh, but through that, 
you know, it's like I think I always listen for the guitar playing on these records, and uh, and Roy's playing. It just you, you know you hear you hear a lot of this Charlie Parker bebop stuff, and then you hear you know a lot of blues bands, and and he's another one that was very deep. You know, there was a lot of stuff going on in his playing, um, and yeah, I think a lot of my bending came from that because even if you listen to you know his acoustic guitar playing there's a great video of uh i think they're doing strangers um on some television show in the 60s and he's playing the kickoff is so difficult you know and it's a it's kind of got all these bebop licks and a huge bend and it does this close-up of of roy's guitar and it's like the the strings are a mile off the fretboard and it, it's a cheap old Stella, you know, and it sounds great, you know, and it's, it's not a pre-recorded track. It's them playing live. And, uh, and so Roy was a beast, man. He, he, uh, I think, you know, obviously a lot of country guitar players are in, influenced by Roy and Merle always had great guitar players. You know, another one was Clint Strong that played with Merle in the eighties that, uh, he was a jazz guy. And, you know, it's like you listen to Hag record and you're going to hear a lot of great guitar playing. Um, and so, yeah, he, he was kind of one of those that I really went down that road pretty heavily uh, listening to Merle Haggard records for, for a lot of reasons. You know, there's great songs and great singing, but there's also, you know, a killer band. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, and, and you can again, you can hear a lot of different influences in Roy's playing like you could hear a lot of different influences in Tony's playing. Um, and I, I think I'm drawn to a lot of those type of guitar players, you know. And that sort of, um, like some of the early country stuff, the guitar playing is really interesting. I listen to some of the Hank Williams records and the solos are quite jazzy in places. They're quite, <laughs> there's a lot of, there's a lot of sixth and everything. And it's not, you know, they're not, there's much more swing and there's much more, they're not, they're not quite as defined as things maybe became a bit later. And it's a really interesting period, those sort of some of the early country recordings. Yeah, it, it's uh, we were just listening to some Bob Will stuff, and it's the same way. You know, it's like that's a that's a full on jazz band playing quote unquote hillbilly music. You know, it's there were some deep players that. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the, I feel like there's a history of that within country and bluegrass guitar. You know, Doc Watson obviously had a lot of influences in the jazz world and, you know, played St. James Infirmary and a lot of jazz songs and, um, mm. and Tony with his jazz records. And, and so, yeah, I mean, it's like, there's, there's a lot of, a lot of that influence, I think, you know? Yeah. And, and sort of a lot of the David Grisman stuff that brought some of those players together a bit later as well, you know, Tony being one of them and but Mike Marshall and people who just, you know, there's, there's a there's a really interesting you know I talked um, to Paul Coet from Hawktail and Punch Brothers the other day and you know just talking about that that space and the sort of overlap and that that kind of more maybe experimental instrumental side of string band music as well and such a breadth of stuff in there and it's really interesting to hear somebody like Sierra Farrell now you know who's got quite a swing jazz influence in what she does that maybe you don't hear quite as much now or you know it's 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 interesting to hear it coming back and sounding different. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I feel like it's always, it's always going to be there and it's always, uh, you know, going to influence us in one way or the other. And yeah, it's like, I feel like within bluegrass, there's a lot of, a lot of seekers, you know, or within this acoustic kind of music, you know, you've got a lot of people that 
want to take in as much music as they can. And uh, so, yeah, you're you're eventually going to go down that road. You know, it's it's we kind of all travel the same path and uh, we just get there at different times. You know, so it's uh, it's a cool thing to see and hear. It's really interesting because I'm, you know, I'm not from the US or bluegrass background in any way whatsoever and sort of coming into bluegrass and sort of realizing there are, there's a sort of traditionalist movement who likes to keep things to being pretty straightforward and there's people who stretch it. But actually, the more I dig in and the more I talk to people, the more I realize it's quite hard to find somebody who was purely a bluegrass musician. Like even Bill Monroe did some duet stuff with Doc Watson that you wouldn't really class as traditional bluegrass and, you know, pretty much everybody did something else as well. And it, or it became, it was something before it became this set in stone bluegrass thing. And then it drifted off into something else. And actually most of it's been progressive in some form all the way through. It has been, I mean, yeah, it's like, you know, you've got people that, that want it to sound exactly like 1946, you know, they, they want that band, that sound. And I get that, you know, that's a great sound. If you're going to aspire to do something that's, that's a really high watermark, but that was really progressive for that time, you know? Mm. Um, and I feel like, yeah, Bill was always wanting to, to push the boundaries, you know, at a certain point he kind of fell into doing a lot of the same thing, but those early records are really progressive and he really wanted to push the envelope and, you know, flat and scrugs did the same. They had, you know, drums on the records and the Osborne brothers. And, you know, it's like it, there's a natural progression of it, of, uh, pushing the limits. And so, yeah, it's, you know, you're, you're kind of, again, yeah, that's like there, there is a lot of tradition in bluegrass, but I feel like the tradition is to kind of keep pushing the boundary. Uh, so, you know, within, within the confines of acoustic music, you know, there's a lot you can do. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty cool thing to be a part of. It's one of the things I love about just how accessible stuff is now is that, so if I went and, you know, bought a bunch of your CDs, I'm not necessarily going to go home with an armful of straight bluegrass recordings. And yet if I follow you on Instagram, I'm going to see you play some fiddle tunes. And I love that, that you just get to see people do a real mix of stuff and pe people aren't maybe quite as defined by their recorded output as they used to be, because you can show other sides of yourself far more easily than that now. Yeah, I mean, it's there, there are, you know, a lot of different things you can do. It's like, yeah, you, you know, talking about Merle Haggard, you know, he did did a tribute record to Jimmy Rogers. He did a tribute record to Bob Wills. Um, and that's, yeah, it's like I, I often wonder, yeah, what Hank Williams would have been like on Instagram, <laughs> you know, or, or like what, what would the what would that have been like? Or, you know, if Jimmy Martin had a had a Twitter account, you know, or a YouTube account, it's like would would we have those great records? You know, I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. But yeah, I mean, there's a good and bad side to it. Yeah, it's like you say, I mean, I play a lot of fiddle tunes and stuff when I'm sitting around the house. And and like naturally when I pick up a guitar, that's sort of what I go to, you know. And so when I put something up on, on Instagram, it's usually that, you know, or just me kind of fooling around on guitar. But when I go in to do a record, it's never that. Um it's always, you know, something that I wrote or, or, you know, a different type of, of music. And, uh, so yeah, it's cool that, you know, there's a lot of different ways you can, you can have musical output. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, like I said, there's good and bad to it, but, uh, I, I enjoy it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's just from a sort of fan point of view. It's really cool to see some of it because, 
you know, get to see like whoever just sit and play a fiddle tune. He probably wouldn't go and record it because, yeah. you know, they've got other stuff they want to get out of there. They've got stuff that they've created and, and want to share with the world. But it's cool just to see somebody sit and, you know, play Blackberry Blossom or whatever. Um, <laughs> yeah, I agree. And it's, and it's just interesting. Like, and also that, just the range of stuff I've heard you talk before about. And it's something I've heard other people talk about, but just the, the influence or the energy you get listening to metal recordings as well. Like, you know, Billy Strings has talked about this. I know Brian Sutton is a big Eddie Van Halen fan. And that sort of, you know, almost the, just the energy of something that's like flat out bluegrass, but you can get the same energy from, you know, a Slayer record or whatever. It's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I, I got that. <clears throat> I think, you know, like, those first days were listening to Tony and then, yeah, when I was a teenager, uh, somebody introduced me to Van Halen and, uh, and I remember hearing eruption for the first time. And yeah, it's the same energy as like, you know, Tony playing Sally Gooden or something, you know, it's like that it had that, that intensity. And, um, and obviously as a guitar player, you're gonna, you're gonna find something that you really love in Eddie Van Halen records. And, and, uh, so I got into that and yeah, I was this friend at school, you know, and he introduced me to Iron Maiden and Slayer and Metallica and, and all that stuff. And, and I got as much into that as I did bluegrass and, um, I don't really play it that much, but I definitely feel like it influenced my playing. Um, and yeah, it's like there's, to me, it always made sense. Like it, that, that made as much sense to me as Gold Rush. You know, it's like that. I loved it, and I just couldn't get enough of it. And, yeah, it's like I, I go through phases now where it's uh, I listen to, you know, as much different stuff as I can. Um, but, yeah, I've, I'm, I'm still a big metalhead and love all that stuff. And uh, it's funny, when I first moved to, uh, to Nashville was, I guess, around the time that Billy moved to Nashville, and we had talked about doing a... Uh, a Black Sabbath tribute at one point, but it never happened. But you know, we need to work on that. That that would be fun. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I think particularly if you kind of grew up as a kid listening to like your grandparents' music or whatever, or do the Flatland Scruggs, at some point you hit a point where you need something that's yours, and like preferably something that's slightly shocking that your parents or your grandparents wouldn't get. Like I, you know, when I was a kid, sort of five, six, seven, I was listening to my dad's Beatles records and Bob Dylan and Simon and Garfunkel, and I still love all that, and I never stopped listening to it. But as a teenager, like I also needed something that was my thing that preferably they wouldn't get, you know, and it's just, this, it's funny finding, finding the same energy in an entirely different place. Yeah, it's uh, and I, same here. You know, it's like my parents were very much traditional bluegrass, traditional country, and that was about it. You know, and I remember, um, I think I just bought an ACDC album, and and I think my dad said something like, "Oh, that's that's all right, but you don't listen to that in the car when they were driving." <laughs> it's like I could listen to that in my room and and learn the guitar parts, but yeah. So I think there was there was a part of that was like, okay, I. I I need my music and and uh and I feel like about that same time as when I got into uh Robert Johnson and uh and all this blues stuff and so I kind of felt like metal and blues and jazz were kind of my little you know like I said I got into that kind of like I did Tony like I just got obsessed with it and and um just 
bought as much music as I could find. And luckily, there was this little uh, little record shop in uh, in East Tennessee. It's closed down now, but this guy um, that worked there was just a he was just the greatest guy, you know. And I would go in every day after school, and he would just save stuff for me, you know. And like he would play it in the store while I was there. Um, and so he, you know, he introduced me to Led Zeppelin and uh, and the Beatles and and a lot of stuff that I probably wouldn't have heard because my, you know, my parents weren't into it. And yeah, it's like he couldn't believe that I'd never heard the name Led Zeppelin, you know. And so it's like, okay, that that changed my playing and my musical life a lot, you know. So it's it's cool to keep exploring, and I, you know, still do that. Is that do you? Is that something? Because you sort of talked about getting obsessed with Tony and then getting obsessed with metal stuff and then sort of finding the blues and the Robert Johnson stuff. Do you tend to kind of go deep into a thing for a while? Is that how you operate? I do. Um, it's, it kind of becomes an issue. <laughs> you know, it's like I drive everybody crazy. Um, just going down, you know, now it's a little different with, um, with streaming and, you know, it's like, I, I, I use Apple Music or, or Tidal, and um, and so you can get obsessed with a lot of things at the same time. Uh, so it's a little different, but used to be, you know, it's like I would buy one record or one CD and just listen to that over and over again, or buy, I was big into box sets, and I still am, you know, I just, just bought this big box set of uh, the complete Louis Armstrong records from like 46 to 60, you know, and, and uh, I've been way into that. And so, yeah, it's like I, I do just tend to get into one thing. And, um, yeah, a couple of years ago, I got way into Chuck Berry stuff. And it was funny being out on the road and, you know, Rob kind of being like, okay, that's that's enough of the Chuck Berry licks. <laughs> it's like it just kind of happened, you know. It's like I listen to that stuff and, you know, suddenly you want to play those kind of licks or, or you know, and it, it kind of oozes its way into my playing. Um, organically and that can that can be a good thing or a bad thing depending on <laughs> it's all trial or error at the trial and error at this point yeah that's why it's one of the joys of music for me is just going deep into a thing just getting excited and wandering off down the road and not looking back for a while and you know and i mean i spent years listening to opera and going to see opera every couple of weeks and like hardly do that now but it's there's, there's something glorious about just putting the blinkers on and going in one direction for a while <laughs> yeah man it's uh it's all about getting excited you know it's like that that inspires me to play like i don't have a regimen of i want to practice you know two hours a day or or an hour a day um if i'm not excited then i'm probably not going to do anything you know worthy of remembering on the guitar i'll still pick it up and play but you know it's it if i'm excited about something then that's that seems to be when I pick up a lot of stuff and and work through things when I'm playing guitar. Uh, so I try to keep myself, you know, musically as excited as I can be. I think that's really cool. I think it's and it's it's sort of cool and grounding to hear from my sort of perspective is that you know you, it's easy to think that people in your position sort of you know play several hours a day on technique and you know and it's whether you're inspired it's it's just it's refreshing to hear that maybe some days you're not inspired or that you need because I, I think with music playing something that you like is 
like particularly with kids, kids in education, being given music to play. If they're not interested, you can teach them as much as you like about music, but if they're not interested in the context you're trying to teach them. So my, my little boy's nine and he's learning piano and his teacher will give him a choice of three pieces and go, which of these do you like? And he'll let him learn the one that he likes. And it's great because he's already sort of bought into it a bit and he's allowed to express himself a bit. And it's, it's really cool. I think, you know, you can sort of sometimes hit kids around the head with music a bit to the point where they just wander off and go, that's oh, not for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I'm very thankful that, you know, I, I had a guitar teacher when I first started uh, and I took lessons for about six months or a year. And uh, and he was great. You know, it's like he he taught me things that I wanted to learn, like the you know, obviously everybody kind of learns Wildwood Flower. But, you know, I don't know that he would have taught me, you know, how to play these other songs or um you know, I remember learning, having him teach me the uh, the intro to Johnny Cash's uh, Tennessee Flat Top Box, and that's something. You know, it's like he had he had to sit and and learn it and then teach it to me. Um, but I remember being very excited about that and going home and just playing that over and over and over again. Um, and yeah, I've got you know I've got a six year old daughter and she's shown a little interest in playing, and and that's been my big thing. It's like, you know, don't. Let's let's get started when you're excited about it, and if you're never excited mm. about it, then that's fine too, you know. But um, I, if if I hadn't have loved it as much as I did, it would have gotten old very quick, you know. Yeah, it's funny. I heard an interview I used to go with Ronnie McCorry, and he was saying that they obviously as kids played all the time. There was instruments around, there was music around. It was just played, but he doesn't remember a single day that his dad told him to play or sat him down and when you need to practice. Just let him get excited and then motivate himself, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, my dad was very—he uh, was—he was great. And and I'd played baseball before I played guitar, and so I kind of went into guitar knowing that if I wanted to to get good at it, I had to practice. Um, but yeah, it's like I think once I started learning tunes, I never really had to be motivated to practice it was all always you know like now i feel like that's a that's a big thing is like i need to be motivated to practice and to play and you know i, I always practice every day or I always play every day but uh yeah again it's like i want to be excited and i want to be motivated so i can move my playing forward and not just you know play these these same licks or these same songs over and over and i think part of it's like my instagram posts or whatever um, a lot of that is, you know, sometimes when I'll be practicing, it's like, I just want to, I'll sometimes record myself just to listen back at certain things, you know, and see what works and what doesn't. And so sometimes I'll just post that, you know, it's like, okay, well, that's my, you know, this is probably crappier than it should be, or I should probably do another take of this. But, you know, it's like, uh, that's just sort of my practice thing is like, what, what of this works and what doesn't. And, and, um, uh, and I try to do go about that with even live shows. You know, I don't, I don't ever try to play the same guitar solo twice, um, and that's for better or for worse. You know, it's like a lot of times, like I, I should have stuck to something I, I know. But uh, you know, I try to keep myself excited uh, musically, and and so that is another way of doing that. It's just kind of jumping into the fire without a, a safety net, and a lot of times, like it especially you know if, we, if we're on a long tour you know it's like two weeks out and i'm kind of burnt out and i want to go home 
it's easy to get back into that repetition of, okay, well, I'm just going to play the same guitar solo tonight, but I have to just talk myself into, no, you're not going to do that. You know, you need to do something new and play something different. And, um, and so that gets me excited. You know, it's like trying to figure out what works and what doesn't work still. Cause I, I don't know any theory or anything. So it's just all improvisation of, uh, playing by ear and all that good stuff. That's interesting because I think I think it, it can take a certain amount of bravery to do that as a musician to just go and see what comes out on the night. But we do it like all the time when we have conversations with each other. Like so much of the time, I maybe maybe this is me, but I, so much of the time I only work out what I think about anything when I'm talking to people about it. And you say a bunch of stuff, and they say a bunch of stuff, and you kind of work out that's the point of a conversation, not just to deliver a load of stuff you already know I mean music is it's definitely the same is that that thing of being able to express new things in the moment and have a live living breathing musical chat with somebody else or a bunch of other people but it can be hard to do because we worry about playing a wrong note or sounding crap or you know just completely losing where we are on the fretboard and not knowing where to go and so we stick to the stuff we know but I think there's there's a lot of bravery in that and just committing every night to just seeing what happens yeah, I mean, it's. I think that that was a big thing with with playing with Rob was that because you know a lot of times we don't have a band and even when we do, the only uh, people that are that are actually taking breaks are are me and Rob. So you know, it's like if we do have a band, we'll just have bass and drums. Um, so it's it's always us playing the the breaks, you know, and and I learned really quick from Rob is like, he never plays the same thing twice. Um, and there, there are little cues that we do that, you know, it's like on these extended jams of things, you know, it's like, I'll, I give him a cue occasionally. It's like, and, and that may be the same thing, but 98% of what we're doing is all improvised and never the same. And, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's been the most fun for me. You know, it's like that's gotten me more excited about playing. And, and so, yeah, I always kind of recommend that even at jams and stuff, just kind of, you know, it can be easy to sit at home and work on, you know, this is what I'm going to play on Salt Creek whenever we do the jam on Saturday night. Uh, but, you know, kind of throw that out the window and you'll you'll learn a lot more. Yeah, do you, have you found that playing with Rob, particularly when he's just the two of you playing live, is that is the have you had to adapt the way you play at all? Is there certain things that you you tend to do in that setting that you wouldn't in others? Yeah, um, there's especially rhythm rhythmically. Um, you know, I play. I seem to play a lot of uh, bass runs or bass notes. Um, and there's, you know, that like on different songs, you know, I'll, I'll do something almost like a mandolin chop. Um, and so I feel like my rhythm drastically changes when it's a duo situation. And sometimes when we have a band, I have to kind of rewire my brain and, and be like, okay, well, we've got a bass player tonight. I can stick to playing, you know, mostly normal rhythm, you know, uh, so yeah, I feel like that part of it definitely changes. Uh, and then with Rob, you know, it's like before this, if I was playing in a band, I didn't get to solo nearly as much as I do when there's just the two of us. So uh, that's been, at first it was a challenge, you know, cause it's like, you know, 
it's almost it is like being in a conversation you, you it felt like i was running out of things to say pretty quick you know and so uh i feel like i've really tried to work on my improvisational stuff um over these past eight years and and that's been great you know because rob's way into jazz stuff and he's done jazz records and uh and so he kind of brought that side of it more than i did maybe uh even though i loved listening to it i didn't really play any of that so um it's been yeah i've I've, uh learned to improvise a lot over these past few years and how's that um how's that sort of fit in with you saying you don't you don't really know the theory side of it it's definitely sort of playing by ear more than anything and how does that sort of reconcile because on one hand a lot of people think you need to fully understand the theory to do anything and on the other hand you get a lot of people who think the theory just gets in the way and for most people the truth is somewhere in the middle how have you sort of how have you yeah. worked your way towards that you know it's I, I sometimes i do feel like you know it's like i would love to learn some theory uh so i'll actually know especially when i'm when i'm teaching at camps it's like you know i kind of feel like i should be able to explain what i'm doing a little better um but part of it, you know, it's like Rob is pretty similar and like he knows he knows definitely more theory than I do, but he kind of tosses it aside when he's playing. And and, um, you know, I, I do feel like there's been a lot more trial and error uh, from my end. Like, yeah, there's a lot of nights when I'll play and it's like, oh, that definitely didn't work. You know, I know tomorrow night to stay away from that part of the fretboard on that song or you know don't play that don't uh don't get started on that idea uh but then you know there's on the flip side there's been a lot of times where it's like that that didn't work that great but i think part of it might work you know so it's like you know it's it's almost like just taking these little fragments of ideas um and a lot of it is just you know listening to other players or listening to other music and and having an idea of where this stuff is on the fretboard and, and kind of just playing it back. And um, it's to the point now where I just kind of turn my brain off a little bit and, and just play and, you know, again, just kind of take in what works and what maybe didn't work or what I need to work on. Um, but, you know, t- Rob played with Tony to kind of bring this back to Tony. Rob played in, in the Tony Rice unit for 10 years. And he said they never had a rehearsal and they never talked about music before they went out on stage, you know, and that's, there's something pretty awesome about that. Like, you know, just going out there totally without a net and, Hmm. you know, so I think we, we go about that to that point. You know, it's like, I think we both know like what song we're going to kick off with and what song we're going to end with and everything else in the middle is whatever we're feeling at the time. Um, and so yeah that's that's been been great and inspiring and uh yeah just try to work on what fits and what doesn't and i guess the joy of a, of a duo is you've got a bit more you can be a bit more maneuverable in terms of where you want to go you're not sort of relying on everybody going to the same place at the same time if you you know if you've got a few signals you can drop each other and go we're going over here now it, it gives you the the freedom to do that yeah. but and geographically on stage, you know, I can just walk two feet to my left and tell him, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here now. And so that works out other than having to tell, you know, five people, hey, I'm going to go here now. Uh, you know, so that's that's been fun. And, you know, occasionally, like I said, we do have a band We're we're going out this week and we have a band. Uh, 
but even that, you know, it's like we we still keep that that kind of improvisational thing going, regardless of you know what combination of musicians we have. And is the is the sort of the the recording and touring with Rob? Is that sort of what you're up to for the foreseeable future, or should we expect a Black Sabbath tribute album from you and Billy at some point? <laughs> Uh, you never can tell. No, I mean, Rob and I, we're, we're pretty busy. Um, and we just, we've finished up a new record that'll be out in the, in the, uh, in the winter. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've been writing for a solo record and I've been, uh, planning on working on that this winter too. So, uh, but as far as touring goes, you know, it's, I would say a good 90% of my time will be spent with the, the Rob, and trade dates because uh, we're we're pretty slammed for next year and and you know it's been great i really love the the duo thing and uh i think we're going to do more band shows next year which will be fun um so yeah we're you know we keep it kind of open to different things um you know musically so i feel like i get a lot of what i want to do out you know with within that project so um yeah, but again, I do want to. I, I want to work on a a uh, solo bluegrass record, and uh, so I think that'll probably happen this winter, and uh, hopefully it'll be out next year sometime. And you know, who knows? I might play a few shows with that, but uh, probably still mainly do the Robin Trey shows. So when you when you say solo bluegrass record, do you mean just you, or do you mean sort of you and a band? Probably me and a band. Um, you know, I don't know what all will be in that band. Um, I've kind of been writing, you know, for the past several years for a record. And, you know, it's like I've I've done a few bluegrass records. I've done a few country records. And I kind of want to do one of both, um, you know, but I don't know. It's logistically, it's harder to book country band shows. You know, having done that, it's kind of. Yeah, that's that part of it cannot be fun having to lug around an amp. <laughs> so mm. I don't know, you know, if I'll uh, if I even want to go down that road for the next little bit. Um, but you know, who knows? I, I've been feeling really inspired, and I've written a lot of music, and um, and so yeah, I'm, you know, very very easily might get in the studio and you know cook up a couple records at the same time, and um, yeah, see see how that goes. Cool. I mean, it sounds like you've got. There's always somewhere new to go, something new to be to be looking forward to, which is really inspiring to hear. Um, it's been really cool chatting to you. I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me on here. I'm uh, been looking forward to this. I uh, appreciate it. Bluegrass Jamalong is proud to be sponsored by Collings Guitars and Mandolins, making some of the finest guitars and mandolins in the world since the 1970s. Visit collingsguitars.com and find out why.